Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast presented by STP. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Today we are at NBC Sports Charlotte for a special Championship 4 edition of the podcast. And who else would I bring back? <laughs> but long time NASCAR and NBC podcast presented by STP. Favorite, Steve Letarte. Listen, we're not breaking any news, right? Like, I mean, you set the level pretty high with the Matt <laughs> Kenseth, hey, I don't have a ride podcast. This is just me. So before anyone asks, I do have a job next year. This is not my retirement one. No breaking news. This no breaking time. news. I appreciate you uh, pointing that out, though. That was a well received podcast. The best part about that was Matt, like at the end, saying, Well, man, I don't know if I gave you anything. I hope I gave you something. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I think we might have did. something that people want to listen to. Here. So I'm going to say this right here. So I ran into Nate leaving the podcast on the way to the media center. That's right. And he looked like a kid that just got the full-size <laughs> Snickers bar at Halloween instead of the mini one. You know, like when the kid goes to the door and he comes back and he has that look on his face. Like when they go, full-size, they give full-size candy bars. That's what he looked like leaving that podcast. So, knew, so we digress. Sorry. I knew we had some. Of course, the reason you're here, though, is handicapping the championship field. Who better than you to do it? Let's start with who I think everybody thinks is the favorite. He certainly proclaims himself the favorite Martin Truex Jr. Is that how you see it? So I don't think you can look at career numbers. I think you need to look at year-long numbers. Um, the sport moves too quick. The technology moves too quick. And when you look at uh, season numbers, and especially mile-and-a-half season numbers, anyone that doesn't have Martin Truex as the favorite um, is making up stats. I don't, I don't know where they're, they're looking because he has dominated the mile-and-a-half tracks. So he has to be the favorite. He has to be the favorite. But the beauty of this championship is it's decided at a track in South Florida that we only see once a year. And I think that's there's some beauty to that. And there's no mile-and-a-half track like this one. There isn't. So, you know, it sounds silly, but this is the only one I can think of that has parallels straightaways. So Kansas, Chicago, D-shape, uh, Kentucky, D-shape, Texas, Atlanta, Charlotte all have, you know, one of the straightaways has some shape to it. Mm-hmm. And here in Miami, they're, they're parallel straightaways with progressive banking on asphalt that's been baked in the South Florida sun for a whole season. So it's, it's, it's really a beautiful facility and a wonderful place to go to and, and decide champions which we've done now for at least over a decade All right as noted truex didn't shy from accepting the favorite label he welcomed it during the post-race interview on our network after phoenix i think he preemptively said it he said i'm the favorite i want to be the favorite do you as a crew chief you like that well i think listen there are uh, let, let's equate it to arguing with my bride like when i'm wrong I just accept that I'm wrong and move on. Well, this is kind of one of those. There was no reason of like fighting. What would fighting it have done for him? Like, what argument does he have? Like, how, how much effort does he want to uh, expel 
arguing with me that his numbers were better than everyone else's. I, mean, I think what he did in Phoenix was exactly right. He knew he was going to be the favorite. He knew that was going to be the talk. Don't hide from it. You know, I, I love the fact that he jumped up on the soapbox, pounded his chest, and said, yep, I'm the man. You he, say I'm the man, I'm the man. And I'm yeah. going to show you in seven days why I'm the man. He someone to at Texas as well, Steve, when he lost the race to Harvick in the closing laps – he, again, when I asked him the question in the post-race in the media center, I can't remember how I phrased the question, but he took the answer into, I know some people are going to try to say this is like a shift in the balance of power. No. This is just I had a set of tires that weren't quite matched up for that last run. Harvick was a little better. They beat us, but there's no reason to think that we are off our game on mile-and-a-half tracks at all. So I will say that I agree with his statement that Texas, and especially turns one and two in Texas, suits Kevin Harvick, and it doesn't look like that at Miami. But from a guy that has lost multiple races to Kevin Harvick, you know, he is not the scrappy little dog that you want to see the light at the end of the tunnel. He's not the guy you want to give any sort of motivation, any sort of hope, any sort of anything. Um, So I don't disagree with Martin Truex Jr., but I do think he's discounting what that win did for Kevin Harvick, and it was way more then guarantee him a spot in Miami. It was, um, you could see it. You could see the pep mm-hmm. in his step. You could see it in the audio of the crew. You could see it in, I don't know if you could see it with Rodney Childers, Mr. Um, enthusiastic. I don't know if the pitch really changed. <laughs> I pick on him. He's a good friend of mine. Yeah. Um, but I'm, he, I'm telling you, he's the guy that, um, of everyone out there, Jimmy Johnson and Kevin Harvick are the two drivers I would not want in a championship battle because they're just scrappy. And, and they're not the type of crews you want to have to go against heads up. Harvick is just tenacious if he sees it within his grasp. And Childers somewhat the same way. They just, and he's they don't a closer. He's, you know, so Harvick is still that little undersized wrestler from high school. And, and he went to a company where he had to stand on the boardroom tables and scream to get things to change at RCR. has been well documented. Him and Richard have gone head to head. And he doesn't need to be like that at SHR, but he still is. And right. he has a crew chief that supports it. And he has a crew that supports it. And I love to tell people I don't care what they think, but I really probably do. Kevin Harvick doesn't. He really doesn't care what I say on the broadcast or what you write in your column. And that's what makes Kevin Harvick so dangerous is he, when he drops the green flag or when he takes the green flag on Sunday, the only people he'll be racing for are his sponsors, his team, his family. And he doesn't care about the other three in the least. Is there another driver that you would compare him to in NASCAR history, somebody who has that kind of just – no holds barred. So, you know, I can only go by stories of like, say, Tim Richmond. While you hear about the bravado and who mm-hmm. he was, you know, I was fortunate enough to work around some people that were there and they said, now you don't understand why that was all real. They said it was real because when he put the window net up, it was, it was all about him in that race car. And, you know, that got covered with the, the party boy atmosphere and the thing. But, but truthfully, in the race car, this is how he was. I think Matt Kenseth and Jeff Gordon have a lot of that that gets, that gets hidden hmm. with their polish outside of the race car. Uh, I think Jeff Gordon is, and this is a compliment, is one of the most selfish race car drivers I've ever worked for. And that, that's what you're looking for in a race car driver. And I, I learned a lot from him. So there are some that had it in the race car. Um, but in the race car, out of the race car, in the media, I can't think of one that, that, that lives it you know, 24-7. And he lives it, as you said, not just inside the car, but outside the car when he's battling his competitors. Kevin Hartwick has been known 
to shift the pressure, the focus, put screws in people's head is you, the way I usually... You say he'll push a guy into a fight? <laughs> is that, was that your words or mine? That Those are definitely my words. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll follow my sword. Like you said, he doesn't care what I write or say. So I'll take the heat on this one. He likes... Listen, pretty- so I, I'm going to get some Kevin Harvick. Con- so I, I ran into him in Phoenix. We had a nice long conversation. Yeah. And we were talking about the broadcast world because he had done some stuff for yeah. Fox. And I said, hey, you know, how would it go? Said, Man, it went good. This went good. That went good. And we talked about... Uh, a couple of the rivalries that have been brewing, and I kind of gave my analysis, and he looked at me, and he said, listen, let me give you some advice. He said, um, I don't watch the races with the audio on because I don't want to be unhappy with what you say because it's your job to give me your opinion huh. and give the fans your opinion. And he goes, and you need to tell anyone in this garage that doesn't like what you have to say, too bad you have the mic. Now, I don't take quite that approach. I give them my number, and I'll go down and talk to them, and I may not agree with them, and I was kind of explaining how I did that. Yeah. But, I, but, but it made me feel good about myself that – that that kept you know this isn't something he just sells like this was Kevin Harvick as a friend saying hey you're doing a good job just keep being you that's what the sport needs and the fans need and and you know you learn a lot by Kevin Harvick for that right there and and yeah um, listen I'm a, I'm a better crew chief to have to race against him you know my years of racing against him made him, made me better just like racing against Jimmy and all the other great ones yeah well this is interesting because he brought this up after Texas Steve Harvick talked a lot about he's got this serious XM show that he started this year and he said that he feels as if he's gained in appreciation for how the fans perceive him, what the fans want to talk about, how the media world works. Like, like you said, he's, he's done some work for Fox. He's, he's doing more in the booth and, and getting good reviews. Did, did that come up at all? I mean, does, it, does he talk uh, about no, it? No, just um, yeah. it was refreshing to see his approach. Yeah. It's always refreshing to see someone who looks at the world through at least some of your view. You know, he's at least, you know, he's a competitor and he's been in the broadcast world a little bit. So myself, Jeff Burton, Jeff Gordon, I could kind of go through the list of people that have kind of gone down this path. And he was just a refreshing reminder that I shouldn't care that that the drivers are my friends and I don't. I have relationships with them all. That doesn't mean I'm friendly with them all. But my number one responsibility is to the fan base. Right. And that should never be... uh, you know, shaded or tainted, and, and I don't think it has been, but it was great to hear, hear a guy who had no agenda. He, I mean, his, his, I guess my point is his advice was truly advice. Like, like he knew that he could be at the end of this advice, right? Yes. I could be like, well, Kevin Harvick is blah, 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 you know. So I kind of appreciated that. That's interesting. Well, certainly sometimes he does have an agenda when, when it comes to getting oh, yeah, other yeah. guys off, off In this games. one conversation. In this one did. conversation, yeah. no. <laughs> but, but I do believe that <laughs> Kevin Harvick is racing – for a championship from the day the green flag falls in Florida in February. And whether that means it's on the track or off the track or in the media, he has an agenda. And everything he'll say over the course of this week yes. is going to be agenda-filled. And it started at Phoenix. He immediately said, well, the pressure's on Truex and Kyle Busch because they're driving Toyotas. They've got the most wins, the upstarts in this conversation. And Truex was was told of that. And he said, oh, that's no surprise at all. That's Kevin Harvick. I would expect nothing less. And it's interesting to me that it's already playing out. I mean, today – the four championship contenders are in New York. Uh, Dale Jarrett's actually interviewing them for NASCAR America today. I'm curious to see how that goes. And, of course, they'll have the Media Day news conference on Thursday, which is often where Harvick has done his work before on the likes of Denny Hamlin and, and Joey Logano. He does not shy away from engaging them in a war of, I wouldn't say war of words, but certainly a war of, of wits. You think we'll see more of that this week? You think that's part of the deal? So uh, something's going to come out of all that. What I don't know is... Is it so well known that he doesn't have to say it anymore? You know, does it does his reputation precede him? Um, does that mean that everything will be hyper focused on what he says and, and he doesn't have to say anything? When I look at the four personalities, I mean, let, let's just be honest. Okay, when I, I I I'm a stats guy, I broke down the numbers. They're amazing. 
these four guys have won eight of the nine playoff races. They've won 17 races this year. Combined, they've won well over 100 races in their career. Short of maybe Matt Kenseth and Jimmy Johnson's stats, they're the only two that are missing of the, of the dominant stats in the garage year. These are four absolute heavyweights. I mean, th- these are the favorite is the only one who hasn't won a championship. The other three have. Like at the beginning of the year, you can re- you could replace one here or there with some other big names. But if I said, well, these are the four that are going to end up in Miami, I can't imagine anybody would be like, oh, man, that's going to be fun. I mean, no one would disagree with that because yeah. that, that's what this is. So, you know, is Kevin going to find the weakling in the group and pick on him? Does he feel like he has to? Is he going to say anything about Brad Keselowski? Is he not worried about Brad Keselowski? Is he going to pick on Kyle Busch? Um, it'll be interesting to see in this format – who he talks about and who he talks to, because that tells me perhaps who he's the most worried about. Well, you, you bring up a good point there that Kevin has also made, which is that he feels like of the four championship four fields, this is the fourth year of this playoff structure, he feels like this is the best one. And it's backed up, like you said, by your stats. I mean, th- th- three champions in Keselowski, Bush, and Harvick. Truex having, I think, one of the probably the 10 best seasons of the 21st century, whether he wins a championship or not, he's been that good. You look at the last three years, there's never been three champions in the field before. There always seems to be a weaker link. You know, in 2014, it was winless Ryan Newman. 2015, Truex and Furniture Row kind of snuck in. I think they had one win that year. You know, last year, I think you could almost argue the 48 kind of snuck in to some degree, although they won the championship. It does seem as if this year, for whatever reason, you know, maybe this is part of it. And we talked about this on Victory Lap the other night, Steve. Maybe it's the result of stage points and playoff points, making sure that merit truly matters in terms of assembling your top four. So I have the um, reorganization of the point structure and the stages having a big value in how these four got here. I also have the experience of the system. So I think that change breaks down consistency of big stars and you have a, a younger driver or a, I don't want to use the words less talented because they're all very very talented but a resume of a driver that just maybe gets hot in this format and finds something mm-hmm. versus when you do something long enough the great ones seem to figure it out and rise up and I think now that we are into our fourth go with this I, I think they're only going to get tougher I think next year we're going to be sitting here 365 days from today going man this is the toughest four ever and I, I just I truly believe that I mm-hmm. think you know the, the sport and the teams figure out how plus I think you know the field even though we talk about the business of NASCAR the depth of the top 15 gets deeper now I, I'm not going to try to convince the fans that the top 40 gets deeper it's not sure the back half of the sure. field is weaker right but the top 20 is not weaker it, it's there is definitely becoming a divide in the field and the ones above that divide are getting tougher so you fully expect the first three years of this structure, these playoffs, the champion has been the winner at Miami, and you think that's probably going to happen Sunday. Man, I think it is. I hope it does. Um, that's what the fans deserve. That's what we all hope happens. Now, it's unnecessary. I mean, you know, we have no idea how this race can play out, but I just feel – well, like I said, these guys have won eight of the nine playoff races, right? So, I mean, what name are you going to put up there? I mean, Kyle Larson is the only name I can put up there. Maybe Denny Hamlin, but probably Kyle Larson that could go and beat these four. I mean, if I told you, hey, you can have these four and I'll take the field, you would take the four. You wouldn't take the field. Absolutely. Okay, let's pause the podcast here to tell you about a product from our presenting sponsor, STP, and that is the Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner and Fuel Stabilizer. For more than 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products such as this to help engines perform at their best. And this newest product, the STP Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner and Fuel Stabilizer, delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline. That helps keep fuel fresh during storage 
especially in engines that are stored over an extended period of time. I have used products such as these for years in my personal cars. They're very easy to use. You just put the contents in the gas tank and they improve fuel efficiency and also keep your engines running smoothly. The STP Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner and Fuel Stabilizer is compatible with all two- and four-stroke engines, including lawnmowers, boats, and motorcycles. And one bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. So be sure to check out the STP Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner and Fuel Stabilizer. And now let's return to our conversation with Steve Wattard. You mentioned Denny. We could put a bow on that really quickly. A great storyline for NASCAR. Great penultimate race again at Phoenix. But don't use it. You use Rick's big word. What he meant was what he meant was that was the next to the last hey, race. Rick of this used season. penultimate. I heard Marty use dichotomy during a practice session. I figure like it's open season now that we can start I'm throwing a this. Simple here. guy. You're much smarter than you let on. You scored. You outscored me in the SAT. So keep bringing this <laughs> Let's up. Let's not go back here. Math is good. But go ahead. Denny's team. To the shame to me about this at phoenix was i mean denny's team brought probably their best car all season he led over what 190 laps and he did everything he needed to do to deserve to move on to the championship round when you look back at what happened sunday in phoenix what's your takeaway with denny so i'm going to look at this different than most have denny hamlin's major turning point in that race was losing the lead on pit road Um, there was a lot that happened after that that could have changed it but that was the first time seeds of doubt were kind of planted that maybe this is going to get away, right? Once he didn't control the restart, that's how easy it is. You know, the fans don't understand, I think, at times, the turning point. You and I have this conversation, the turning point of the race. Denny Hamlin's turning point is when he did not come off pit road first. That's when it all started to get on a slippery slope. That's why he felt like he had to race at 24. Because, And then you flip that, that Paul Wolf worked a great strategy to even get in the picture. Because if Paul Wolf doesn't play that strategy, I argue that Denny Hamlin just waves the... 24 by like really waves him by like three lanes off the gas because he has 15 spots to deal with but paul wolf and this is what makes paul wolf and brad so dangerous this weekend there is nothing about that phoenix race that says brad kozlowski should have went to miami and paul wolf and brad kozlowski don't care they grind they are as blue collar ditch digging shovel wielding whatever needs to be done whatever we have to do they will do they're like the modern day Ryan Newman and his crew chief from back in the in the Portland, yeah, yeah where it was like, we're going to yeah. do whatever we can to have track position. Right. We're gonna, like they're like the modern day group of that. They're going to beat you with a fast car, and then you're going to turn around. And they're going to beat you with strategy, and then they're going to turn around and beat you with dumb luck. They're going to turn around and beat you with just a grind of a day. And you're like, man, these guys just keep coming. That's what they are. They proved it again in Phoenix. So I'm not going to talk about Chase and Denny. Everyone's exhausted that. I'm going to give credit to two things. Denny's team could have prevented it by not losing the spot on pit road. Easier said than done. Everyone loses spots, but I'm going I'm to focus in. That's when it all started to go bad. And Paul Wolf and Brad Kozlowski continuing to grind it out and put him back in the picture without a doubt changed how the 11 race those last 50 or 80 laps because they essentially just inserted themselves into his rearview mirror even though i mean they started 16th and finished 16th and had no business running in the top 10 at any point but yet they pitted kind of it wasn't really but off they sequence. were in the top 10 when they needed right to be. it wasn't even off sequence they just pitted they had the three yellows and like i don't know 40 or 50 laps and they pitted on that middle one and then when some other cars pitted on that third one I'm suddenly they you. jump up to eighth and when you're when you're mike wheeler when you're denny hamlin yeah. when you're the crew chief and you keep or the spot and you keep looking down brad is uncomfortably close yeah and, and you're wondering changes. like why is he there he's been and you don't have time you know it's easy for yeah. me at the race to tell him don't worry about it he's not very good you'll beat him they're racing they don't have time to diagnose it like, like that i i you know that's where fresh set eyes might have been good to be like hey yeah. don't worry about the two you'll yeah. beat him 
you know, on old tires, new tires, it doesn't matter. You've got to beat all day. Because he didn't get that communication, but what you're saying is it's, it's hard to communicate during the frenzy of a... I mean, Mike Wheeler's trying to win a race. So that's why at the beginning of the race when they all say, we're going to talk about these four and be like, hey, are you going to watch the other championship three? And they're all going to say, oh, no, I'm going to just try to win the race. <laughs> they're lying. <laughs> as a crew chief, I might not, but I would have somebody assigned within my race team to each of those cars. I would know as much about their cars as I know about mine. And just monitor everything that is said on the radio, every lap time. Every Whatever it needs to be done. If they have a weakness, I would want to know it. So this is why you think then Brad Kozlowski, although he enters Miami, is clearly the underdog here. He doesn't really have a lot of momentum. He got the top five at Texas, but no stage points the last two weeks. Didn't qualify that well, obviously, Phoenix. Didn't run well at Phoenix, but you think doesn't matter. He's got Paul Wolf. So here, here's where I think if the champion is the race winner, Brad Kozlowski can't win the championship. I don't think he can win at Miami. If for whatever the circumstances, strategy, wrecks, bad luck, weather, who knows? then I have to put the two back in the picture. I think, you know, if you put Larson as the winner and you, you have a, maybe one guy have a mechanical problem or an issue and we get a long green flag run and who's going to split it up and when's the caution going to come and that just opens the door for the two. Because wouldn't, isn't it pretty refreshing racing like you, you can't win it? You know, so when you have the 78 leading and the 18 running second and you got the four dogging them in third and they're all out there and they're chasing each other and chasing each other and all of a sudden the two from ninth pits 25 laps early what are the other three going to do what are you going to do you either chase him down pit road or you don't Mm -hmm. and if you don't and the caution falls right you lose to him if i'm paul wolf that's me i'm going to make sure that they're taking their thumbs because that was always Paul Wolf's game. Even when they won the championship in 2012, that was how they went head-to-head with Jimmy Johnson, Shaq, and Allison, just got them off their game, it seemed like, every week by pitting out a sequence and doing all these crazy strategies. And in some ways, maybe it's better not to be the best card in their instance if they're going to rely on those kinds of tactics to persevere. Right? I don't know if they will, but I think they could. And yeah. if, I, if I know Paul Wolf, he has no problem running 38th trying to win a race to win the championship. The Toyota Advantage, we talked about Homestead Miami Speedway is different than the other mile-and-a-half tracks, but any reason to think that that could show up? Obviously, Brad has done a lot of squawking about that this year. I mean, it's really simple. To go faster in the garage, you find downforce. That's what every team's looking for. It's not shocks. It's not springs. It's not tires. It's not. It's downforce. Downforce is the magical anecdote to everything. Every count you have, you go faster. And I think Toyota right now, through uh, hard work, good organization, pooling of resources, pooling of effort, all of those things, very detailed crews, you know, I think they have an advantage there. I don't call it an unfair advantage. Let's be clear. Everyone's goal was to have an advantage, and I think they have an advantage on speed. So if it comes down to raw speed, I think they're going to be hard to beat. Chevy didn't get a car in the championship round this year. Downforce is what people are talking about a lot with that new Camaro. You think that changes 2018? Well, if they got a new model in there and they haven't found a way to, to even up the gap, then shame on them. Yeah. I would imagine they would have had to have figured it out. You, know, you have to remember that there's been major fundamental changes of the rules since the models were put out there. Spoiler size, hand size, splitter size, that changes the airflow. So if I take this cup of coffee I have and say, well, it was designed for a hot liquid, 115 degree liquid, because that's what you're going to drink out of it. You say, oh, man, well, it works pretty good. And you say, well, this is my favorite cup. Okay. Well, then next week's race is we're going to put um, ice liquid in there. And you say, well, you know, my cup did work, but now my, my liquid melts. It's not as good for cold liquid. But this guy over here has one of those high-dollar little tumblers, and his stuff's still cold. You're like, well, now he has an advantage. Well, yeah, but the game changed. We went from hot liquid to cold. Right. So now he has the right thing for cold liquid. 
let's talk about downforce. They used to have a, what, a five-inch spoiler. Now they have a spoiler that's non-existent. Well, while that changes downforce, that's not linear. That changes airflow. It changes so many different things that it suits the Toyos better, it would seem. So Martin Truex Jr. tested, seemed happy. Kozlowski tested, not as happy, apparently. And then Kyle Busch didn't test because it was Denny Hamlin's turn, apparently, with Gibbs. I think he would have liked to, but that wasn't in the cards for that team. And then Kevin Harvick just said flat out, I didn't test, and I'm glad we didn't because I don't think you can learn anything at that place. What do you think of it? Testing is difficult. So this is going to sound odd, but no one tests anymore for information, setups, anything like that. You test to provide a data set to all your tools. So they all have those. Brad went and got one. The 78 went and got one. The 18 has the 11s. I don't think whether they test it or not is going to make a hill of beans different on how they run. You can learn more about a track away from the track with your simulation than you can at the track on the wrong weekend. And so the data set is just telling you just a lap around the track to let you know how much load and speed vertical lateral all of that you can put into all your fancy tools that's disappointing as i can see the disappointment (laughs) in your face like surely it would be better to go make laps around a real race it's illuminating because when you have a guy like harvick who as we know for the most part is is not somebody who gives you a bunch of baloney when when he just says flat out he didn't say it in a way that belied the fact that he was confident about it like hey i don't need to test there that track's going to change the race starts early to mid-afternoon it could go into early evening under the lights and then what are you doing if you're testing during the day you're not learning he's right he's absolutely right personality wise two of these guys really don't like each other Kyle do Bush any and, of them like each other <laughs> well i think it's varying degrees here i mean kyle bush and brett kozlowski certainly do not hide their disdain Come on, let's go all the way kevin harvick doesn't like or dislike any of them then truex i mean i think he's friendly to everybody but i have no doubt what he's like when he puts his helmet on bush and brad i would list their issues but the podcast would run over <laughs> right so the moment is so big that doesn't matter um, you know, if we're talking about qualifying for Miami, maybe. If you're talking about racing mid-year, maybe. The gravity of the situation is larger than anyone who's a friend or not a friend. And what I mean by that is I would hope that Martin Trex Jr. races Kyle Busch for all it's worth. Like, there's nothing left. And Kyle Busch would race Brad the same way, and Brad would race Harvick the same way. Like, the, the moment is way bigger than, hey, we have some water under the bridge. They don't. You know me. I don't even want to see driver intro. I don't want to see nothing. Like, I wish they parked their buses in four corners of the racetrack. <laughs> I wish their haulers were in four corners of the garage. Right. I wish they never ran into each other. I wish they never saw each other. Put them out there, put them in their car, line them up, and let's go. I want to see competitive, sports-driven hatred. Now, if they get out and they want to be business partners, or not, right. that's fine. I don't care about that. But, but for three days in Miami, I want nothing but competition. I haven't paid enough attention the last three years. Maybe you have. But do we see that for driver intros for this race versus other races? Are they less inclined well, it's, it's to It's hard because or? they put them all together. Yeah, They'll be the last four introduced. Yeah, They'll be the last true. four to take a picture together. They'll be the last, you yeah, know. True. Hard to get away from each other. Well, it's kind of like basically it's like the definition of uncomfortable. We're going to put you four together all the time. They might as well fly them together. They might as well do yeah. everything together. The other significance, of course, of this race, Steve, is that it is Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s final cup race. I read that somewhere. Yeah. If you watch NBC coverage this weekend, NASCAR on NBC, you may see a reference or two to this. I texted him the other day. I was like, you know, someone told me it's your last race. (laughs) What was his response? He just laughed. (laughs) It seems as if, and you know him just about as well as anybody, it seems as if it's setting in, not unexpectedly, more so, especially since, say, Talladega, when he got his dad's car. It seems like since then, it's starting, you know, it's starting to dawn on him that, hey, the end really is here. Have you seen some of that as well? Or? So nothing personally, um, yeah. but just observing his quotes in the media center, his observations of things, he seems to be much more sentimental, changed his Twitter header this weekend. Right. It is real, and it needs to set in. That's gonna. I'm not gonna bother him much this weekend, 
but I'm gonna just going to send him one text, and I'm going to let him know that if I could go back and relive any weekend of my career, it would be the last one I had with him because it was so emotional that I try to not be emotional, try to not cry in front of people, try to like go there and do my job. And because of that, I put so much effort into that that, I, that the weekend was a blur. And if I could go back and relive any three days, those would be the three. And I would have appreciated all of the people that said, hey, man, it's going to be great. You're going to do, man, TV's going to be good. For, you know, I had so many five-second interactions that the blur went by me. I didn't get to appreciate. That's going to be my advice that, hey, man, listen, there is no blueprint on how you're supposed to be. So don't try to be anything. And if that means you cry every time somebody gives you a hug, then that's fine. Like, <laughs> like my point to him is just just be you. Hey, Matt Kenseth got emotional. Right? I mean, he's had a tremendously successful career being him. Yes. And I just true. want him to know it doesn't matter what everybody thinks. Just be you. I know it's, he won't be able to enjoy it. Nobody can, but just enjoy it. Just try yeah. to enjoy it. Just try to appreciate every lap of practice. Every, just appreciate it. Let the emotions flow. We know he'll have some emotions. What do you think your emotions will be like watching this? Ah, oh, well, you know. I'm thankful for every lap of practice I was able to um, cover of his from the broadcast booth, every race we ran together. I was worried when he was out from a concussion that I was never going to get to call another race that he was in. That was going to be a really sucky way for him to end his career. Very thankful he got to come back. My first ever race from the booth, I watched him win in Daytona in July. So I feel like selfishly I've had the ability to – I wanted to call one of his wins. And I got that out of the way like week one, mm-hmm. and then we've had some since then. So, you know, it's been a great time watching. I'm very thankful he's doing it on his own terms. He's getting ready to take his own send-off. I'm excited to work with him next year. So it's fun. It's one of those that when it's all said and done, it's going to be, you know, it might take till May or June, July, but when it all settles done, when no one's talking about Dale Jr.'s last season, it's going to be fun to go sit down, have a beer with him, and hang out. You and him have some stories. It's going to be uh, it's going to be some <laughs> long stories, which don't get me wrong you think the last race of his career is emotional i told him just hold on till may yeah (laughs) he don't even know what's coming he has no idea what's coming can't wait for that can't wait for this weekend thanks for being here steve so man it's gonna be fun listen everybody needs to come down there the 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 championship four is going to be it truly has you know there's a lot of buildup in sports but this is one that i think is going to be great and i think it starts from the first lap they take in practice it's a battle of wills wits and experience and we're going to see it unfold on sunday afternoon Okay, our thanks again to Steve Letarte for sitting down with us and because he did such a great job explaining why you should be following the season finale Sunday from Homestead Miami Speedway. Let's run down how you can do that with NASCAR and NBC's coverage. Friday starts with cup practice at 12.30 p.m. on NBCSN, Xfinity practice at 2.30 and 5 p.m. both on NBCSN, and then cup qualifying for the championship race at Homestead Miami Speedway at 6 p.m. Friday on NBCSN. Saturday, cup practice will begin at 10 a.m. on CNBC, followed by Xfinity qualifying at 11 a.m. on CNBC, NASCAR America at 12.30 p.m. on NBCSN, leading into final cup practice at 1 p.m. on NBCSN. Then NASCAR America at 2 p.m. on NBCSN, leading into Countdown to Green for the Xfinity Series season finale, which will begin at 3.45 p.m., on NBCSN, followed by post-race coverage of the crowning of the 2017 champion. On Sunday, NASCAR America begins at 1.30 p.m. on NBC. That includes a special interview of Dale Earnhardt Jr. by Bob Costas. And then Countdown to Green is at 2 p.m. on NBC. The green flag on the Cup Series championship race from Homestead Miami Speedway at 3 p.m. on NBC. And that'll be followed by coverage of the post-race 2017 championship celebration and victory lap. All of that post-race coverage on NBCSN. 
If you enjoy what you're hearing on the NASCAR and NBC podcast presented by STP, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We also are available on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, virtually anywhere you can find a podcast, you'll find this one. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast presented by STP. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.